Hey, before we get to chapter 24 today, let me ask you a question. Have you ever met anybody really famous? I mean, a celebrity kind of person. We don't usually do this, but I'm going to let you feedback here. If, you, if you've met somebody really famous you want to share, who, who'd you meet? Bill Clinton. All right, Bill Clinton. That's a pretty famous guy. Who else did we meet? Garth Brooks. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty good. Really good. Somebody last night yelled, Jesus Christ. And we're like, oh, yes, yes. And then somebody said, I've met Elvis Presley. And everybody, like, yeah. And I was like, Jesus Christ, Elvis. I, I'm not sure what the re response was. So Bill Clinton, Garth Brooks, who else have we met that's famous? La who? Lassie. The dog? The dog, Lassie. Really? The original one. Wow, that's, that tops Elvis. I'm just going to say it right there. That tops Elvis. That tops Elvis. That doesn't top Bill Clinton, but that tops Elvis. That might top Garth Brooks. I'm not sure. That's a close one. Maybe one more person. Who's met somebody famous? Kenny Loggins. All right, Kenny Loggins. I, um, I've, had, I've got to meet a couple famous people, celebrities. Um, not a whole lot, just a couple. Um, the very first time I remember being in the room with somebody who was famous, I was a kid, and um, the famous person who came to our town, now not everybody's going to recognize this name, but when I was a kid, this guy was tops, Spud Webb. Remember him? He was an NBA basketball player, and he was famous because at the time, he was the shortest guy to ever play in the NBA, and in 1986, he did something that nobody thought he could do. He won the NBA dunk contest. Is this coming back? All right, this is a little guy that could jump, and he came to our town, and when I was a kid, I mean, I remember watching Spud Webb play, and he came, and he gave some kind of, I don't even remember now, some kind of motivational talk at one of the colleges in our town, and then and there was lots of people there, and I remember at the end, they said, who wants to play basketball with Spud Webb? And I'm like, me. And, and so all the kids, we ran down to the court, and, and, and they started picking out kids to come out and play three-on-three -three games with Spud Webb. And I wanted to go so bad, but I didn't get picked, and I'm still a little bitter about it to this day. But I didn't get to go on the court and play Spud Webb, and, and, and that still bothers me. But at any rate, you know, there's something, as you've met these famous people, um, don't like famous people, don't they just kind of have an effect on a crowd? I mean, you got, I mean, there are reasons why people line streets to, to see them and, and they'll stand in great lines to, to meet them. There's just, there's just something about uh, these people that we would even say, and we know it's not true in our spirit, but we're like, they're not average people. These are extraordinary people. These, these people have made these tremendous impacts on society. You know, as I think about that, this is kind of the effect that Jesus had on people when he entered into their towns and when he entered into their homes, it, it became clear early in Jesus' ministry that even though Jesus was the child of a humble carpenter from Nazareth, he was special. And people wanted to be around him. People wanted to be near him. People wanted to touch him. People wanted to say, I've been out to see Jesus, and I've listened to the things that he said. He had a way of attracting people, and, and he just stood out. And one of the things that made Jesus stand out so much and made him so attractive is the way that he taught people about God. Nobody, and I mean nobody, ever taught 
um, lessons about God like Jesus did. And in this day, people learned about God because they went to the temple or they went to their synagogue and they listened to the rabbis um, read from the book of the law, you know, the first five books of the Old Testament. They would roll it out on a scroll and they would read from it and people would listen. And, and the rabbi or the priest, they would talk about the things they could and couldn't do on which days and what they could eat and couldn't eat and what they had to do and the rules they had to follow. This is how they learned about God, but, but that was then. Now, I don't know if it was boring or not. It was just their culture. And then here comes Jesus, and he had a completely different way of teaching people about God, and it was engaging. It was informative. It was life-changing. Jesus would pull on their heartstrings, and they had never experienced anything like this before. And one of the ways that he would teach people is he would use what is called parables. Now, is this a new word for you? I don't think so. Many of you know what parables are. Parables are stories. They're illustrations. I've heard it put like this. It's a definition I've held on to for years, that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus taught so often in parables, it was like his preferred method to communicate truths that just reading the law could never match from a rabbi. So in chapter 24 of our, of our story uh, this week, we begin with one of Jesus' parables. We're using this resource right here. So if you got it, would you please open up to chapter 24 today? And this is going to be the same as Mark chapter 4, verse 1, for those of you that, are, that just have your regular Bible with you today. And the verses will be on the screens behind me as well. But our chapter begins with one of these parables. This, this is a parable. It says, As Jesus began to teach by the lake, the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat, sat in it, out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. He taught them many things that day by telling them stories that they could relate to, earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And in his teaching, he said this, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. All of a sudden, right there at the beginning of this story, he has a connection with his audience because this is a, a heavily agricultural um, society. And so when Jesus says, a farmer went out to sow his seed, every single person listening to him goes, oh yeah, I know what that's like. That's what these parables did. They met people where they're at. He says, the farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And people were captivated by that. They had never heard anything like this before in their lives. And Jesus was communicating this this important truth that still connects with us today. He was using a story to communicate it, but he's communicating this truth that if you would hear the word, accept the word of God, and live by it, great things will come in your life. Just like how you plant seed in the good soil, and it will produce a good crop. 
Acceptance of God in your life produces the same thing. So these parables, these stories, they, they met people where they lived, they got their attention, and they knew by listening to Jesus tell these stories that he was no ordinary man, he was no ordinary teacher. Jesus told a trilogy of parables one time, and, and I'm sure they're familiar to many of you, but some of you I know probably read this for the first time this week in our chapter. But he told a story. He said, suppose one of you has, not, has 100 sheep, one of them wanders away, and wouldn't he leave the 99 and go on this massive search to find this one lost sheep? And he says, when that lost sheep is found, doesn't the, the, the guy put up the lamb on his shoulders and walk him back? And isn't there great rejoicing? Don't they celebrate when this one lost sheep is found? And, and, he, and Jesus says, this is like how it is in heaven. God rejoices when one is found. And then he tells another story. He says, there was this woman who had 10 coins, and then she loses one of them. And she goes on this massive hunt throughout her house. She moves furniture. She pulls up the rug. She sweeps the whole house. She goes on this great search until... This one lost coin is found, and she calls her friends over, and they have a party, and there's great rejoicing because what was lost is now found. And then Jesus told another parable right after that. He goes, his father had a son. His son took his father's money, went out and squandered it, and at his lowest point, he decided to come home. And on his way home, the father was watching for him. The father ran out, met him, embraced him, and welcomed him back in the family. And Jesus says, there's great rejoicing when someone who is lost is found, when someone is dead is made alive again, and we learn this incredible truth from those three parables, that lost people matter to God. And this is how God sees those who are lost and then are found. And people are like, whoa. Jesus told another parable one time about a man who was on his way to Jericho, and he gets robbed and beaten and left for dead. Two men came by that were, you know, you know, other Jewish men. They were his brothers. They were actually members of the clergy. They should have helped him. They didn't. They just went around him and kept going. But then a third guy came along the road, saw him there. Now, this guy was a Samaritan, and he didn't like Jewish people very much, and Jewish people didn't like Samaritans, but he stopped. He helped them, and uh, he bandaged his wounds. He took him to an inn, and he paid the innkeeper to take care of him and, and to reimburse all of his out-of-pocket expenses. And, and, and we learned from this parable that, you know, what? There's something bigger in the world going on. We need to love our neighbor as ourselves. And people's mouths hit the ground on this stuff. So some of Jesus' parables really made people think, like the lost sheep, lost coin, and the lost son. And others had shock value where people didn't know what to think, like the good Samaritan. But all of them contained truth from God that was presented in a way that people could understand. But Jesus didn't always teach in parables. Sometimes he didn't use parables of all, at all. He would just speak directly and he would come right at people like, this is how it is. No time for a parable today. This is what you need to know. This is what you need to believe. We, we see that on page 341. If you'd like to turn over to that page, this is Matthew chapter 6 verse 5. Jesus said, let me tell you guys about prayer. Let me just speak straight at you. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Of course, they would have known who Jesus was referring to. He was referring to the Pharisees and the religious leaders who made big shows out of their prayer times. So he says, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room 
close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Friends, I'm telling you, I could preach whole series on just the few texts we've already read. Don't be like them. Father knows what you need. And then Jesus says this, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Sound familiar? May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is just speaking right to the people saying, listen, this is how you pray. This is what God is looking for. God is not looking for any fancy, showy performances when you want to talk to him. Trust me, you cannot impress God with long, fancy words. He's not impressed by those things. But you know what does impress God? It impresses him when those who come to him to pray are honest, humble, and submissive people who desperately just want to talk to their creator. I'll never forget something that happened um, back when I was in college. I was on a camping trip with a bunch of my friends, and this is kind of a roughing it camping trip where we went out in the woods with tents and, and all. Uh, friends, if you know me, camping to me is uh, when the weather is a perfect 78 degrees during the day and you park your RV next to a lake and direct TV on top of your, your camper, okay? To me, that's camping. Anybody with me? That's camping. I'm not the roughing it kind of guy, but this was a roughing it kind of camping experience. And I remember, it was fun though, but at the end of our, our first day, we all went back to our tents and, and everybody was fast asleep because we were very tired. And for some reason, I remember that I left something of mine in my friend Warren's tent. I don't know what, what it was, I don't remember, I don't remember why it was so important, but I got out of my tent and I walked across our camp to Warren's tent and you could hear people snoring, everybody was out, okay? And, and I tried to open Warren's tent really quietly and that's not an easy thing to do when it's dead quiet. It's like, you know, I'm trying to be quiet, and I, and I step inside, and I was going to grab my stuff, and then I realized Warren wasn't asleep. And I'll never forget this. Warren is laying on top of his sleeping bag, and he's got his Bible open, and he's got his flashlight in his hand, and he was praying, and I interrupted his prayer time. Now, let me tell you why this was a significant impression on my life back then is because Warren, even though he was tired, and even though I'm sure he wanted to sleep, he still had the priority to spend time in God's Word and to spend time in prayer. And it was the epitome of, I think, what Jesus was saying. Not for show. In the quietness of your own time, Warren was going to do that whether I snuck in there or not. And it was between him and God, and, and it just had a huge impact on, on me. And every time I read this part of the Bible, I think about that moment where I saw somebody, when I was a young man, and, and, and I saw Warren, who was, I would say, very much ahead of me in his walk with the Lord at the time, doing something that's clearly taught by Jesus. And it made a huge impression on, my, on, on me. 
Jesus taught that that's how you're supposed to pray. It's between you and God. And it's not something that you do for show. And, and the Lord will reward what you do in, in secret. And that this kind of teaching that Jesus gave, it set him apart from, from all the rabbis of the day, all the teachers. And nobody had ever heard anything like this before. So there was something different about Jesus. He was no ordinary teacher. Listen to what he said one time. This is on page 342 of your storybooks. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Listen to what Jesus said. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus said, hey, if you'll put my words into practice, you'll be solid. I want to be solid. I hope you want to be solid, too. But it wasn't just his teaching that got everybody's attention. Everywhere Jesus went, he also did this. He performed miracles. Okay, so he had this powerful message, but he also had this powerful action that went with it, and it was miracles. Now, I've heard miracles described this way. It's as good a definition as any. There's lots of ways. But a miracle is a special act of God that interrupts the natural course of events. I think that's one good way to look at it. It's a miracle is a special act of God that interrupts the natural course of events. You know, in 1980, uh, the United States won gold medal in hockey. Do you remember that? Pretty, pretty magical moment in sports history. To, in order to get to the gold medal, they were going to have to beat the Soviets, which at the time was something that nobody thought was possible, especially not the Americans. The Americans could not come in here and beat the Soviets on this game. But, but on this particular day, the U.S. prevailed. They, they, beat the, they beat the Soviets, and that game was dubbed this, Miracle on Ice. Is it coming back to you? Miracle on Ice. They've made movies about this. They, they made a movie here a few years ago. What do they call it? A miracle. And why do they call it this? It's because Al Michaels, in the final seconds of the game, and it became clear the United States was going to win. Do you remember what he said? Do you believe in miracles? Awesome hockey game. Not a miracle. This is a miracle. Page 343. This is Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. That still blows my mind away. And the disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. That, my friends, is a miracle. That is a special act of God that interrupts the natural course 
of events. Jesus was doing miracles, things like this, everywhere he went. And I would argue this, that it was his miracles that drew the crowds. It was the things that people saw him doing that, that, that drew the crowd and made people want to listen to what he had to say. Now think about this. If you, were, if you were alive back then and some guy strolled into your town or into your village or, or even came into your home and he started talking about loving God and loving your neighbor and turning the other cheek and, and all of these things, would you listen? I mean, really, would, would you really, really listen? I mean, think about if that happened today. Would you pay much attention? Probably not. But what if that same guy... Talk about, you, you heard talk about those things. What if you saw him do this? Look on page 344. This is Mark 5, 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. You kind of can, can visualize what's going on, right? Jesus is there. A lot of people. This, this leader in, in, the, in, 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 the, in that land came through there. He's like, Jesus, you've got to come and help my daughter. He presses his way through the crowd and, and, and says, you've got to come. And so Jesus said, well, let's go. And the Bible tells, if you keep reading, that while they were going and all these people were around him, Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? And, and his disciples were like, there's all kinds of people touching you. What do you mean? We're crowded. And then Jesus said, no, no, no. I felt the power leave me. Who touched me? And there's this powerful moment we have cushioned in between this, the beginning and the end of this miracle where there was this woman, the Bible said, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she spoke up and she said, it was me and I'm so sorry I did that. And Jesus is like, no, don't be sorry. Your faith has healed you. She you see, she just felt like if I could just touch him. And she was healed. And then when all that was happening, here's what happens next. While Jesus was still speaking, so he's having this interaction with this woman who just got healed. Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? In other words, while Jairus was trying to get Jesus, his daughter died in the meantime. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. And he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying, and they were wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. And after he put them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. What an incredible miracle. So if some guy came to your village and said, love your neighbor as yourself, love God more than anything else, turn the other cheek, and you're like, yeah, okay, whatever, but then witnessed him raise somebody from the dead, I guarantee you we would pay a lot more attention to what this man 
would say. I, I would pay a lot more attention to the guy who walked on water. I would want to pay a lot more attention to the guy who turned water into wine and who opened the eyes of the blind and opened the ears of the deaf and who took five loaves of bread and two small fish and fed 5,000 people with it. I'd want to listen to that guy. No, Jesus was no ordinary man. He was no ordinary teacher. And what people heard him teach and what they saw him do with, with miracles absolutely changed them. It changed the world. And the question that each of them back then had to wrestle with is the exact same question that you and I have to wrestle with today and every single person should wrestle with. And it's this question, what do you believe about Jesus? That's the, that's the question. And in fact, I believe that's probably the most important question that you could ever wrestle with and answer in your whole life. What do I believe about this guy? What do I believe about him? I've heard what he said. I saw the miracles. What do you believe about Jesus? You got to wrestle through some things just like they did. Is he just a good teacher? There's a lot of people today that when they, when they think about this question, they, they say, you know, he's just a good teacher. He taught good things, good lessons, but that's it. Is that all he is to you? There are others who are like, no, he was just a good man who went around helping people. So he taught some good moral lessons, and he had a helpful heart, and he liked people, and he had a special place for the downtrodden, but he, that's all he is. There's some people that come to that conclusion, but what about you? Was he more than that. C.S. Lewis is famous author. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia series. You might be familiar with that. He also wrote extensively about his own faith and how he wrestled through some things. He wrote a book years ago um, called Mere Christianity. And in that book, um, he wrestled with those questions about what, what am I going to believe about Jesus? And he considered all of the things that Jesus taught um, throughout the course of his ministry. He studied all the claims that Jesus made about himself, that, that, that God and Jesus are one, and that Jesus had the authority to forgive sins, and that Jesus was going to be the representative to all humanity to come and die so that they could be saved. And that the only way to obtain salvation was through Jesus. And he sealed that path when he rose from the dead. He, he had analyzed all of this stuff. And after he considered it, he came to this conclusion. And this is a, a really well-known conclusion. Maybe you've heard of it before, and maybe this is new to you. But, but this is how he reasoned through all of this. He said, Jesus is either a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. He said he's one of those three things, and I've got to figure out which one of those he is. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's a lord. And here's how he reasoned. He said, if Jesus made these great claims, okay, and he taught all this incredible stuff, but deep down in his heart, he knew it was all a lie, well, that just makes him a liar. And you know what? He got what he deserved on the cross then. That's what C.S. Lewis said. And then he said, but you know what? C.S. Lewis, maybe... Maybe he made all these great claims and he did and he taught all this incredible stuff, but he had no idea it wasn't true. He really did believe and was convinced himself that it was true. Well, if that's the case, then that just makes him a crazy lunatic. And, and nobody's going to believe a word that a crazy lunatic is going to say. And then he reasoned this, but if Jesus wasn't a liar and he wasn't a crazy lunatic, then there is only one 
reasonable, logical conclusion, and that is that he is the Lord. Well, you know what I believe. I believe that Jesus was no ordinary man. He was the Lord. But I wonder, what do you believe? One time, Jesus was... Um, Jesus' disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee, and in the middle of the night, there was, a, there was a pretty good wind and storm that came up, and they could not get back to the shore. And uh, right before the sun came up, the disciples were, were nervous and worried about the weather, and then the Bible tells us that they see Jesus walking to them on the water. If you can imagine this scene, here comes Jesus right across the water, out to the boat. And Peter, who's always the most vocal disciple, he's like, mm, Jesus, if that's you, then you tell me to come out there to you. And, all, and Jesus says, come on out here. And Peter, you can just imagine, he swings his legs over the boat, the side of the boat. All the other disciples maybe be huddled up against the back of the boat. So what's he going to do? Is he going in there? And Peter begins to walk across the water to Jesus, and he's doing okay for those first couple of steps. If you've read the story in, in this chapter, you know that Peter began to look around at the winds away. He's gotten nervous, and he began to sink, and Jesus grabs him and, and pulls him back up. And when they reach the boat, um, you know, Jesus is like, why did you doubt? Oh, ye of little faith. They have this conversation, and they climb into the boat, and the disciples make this profound statement about Jesus. He walks across the water, saves Peter, and now they're all sitting in the boat, and they're just staring at him. And his disciples say this, truly, you are the Son of God. So, what do you believe about Jesus? It truly is right there. What do you believe about Jesus? It is, and I promise you, the defining question of your life. What do you believe about Jesus? Now, I know many of you in this room today have already made up your minds about Jesus. You said, I believe. But you know what's a healthy thing to do from time to time? Is to just say it again. I believe. And I would just encourage you that during your regular prayer times, to affirm your faith in your prayer. Lord, I believe everything you said. Even in those moments where I'm tempted to doubt, I still believe. And I wonder, while we sing this song as we close here today, I want to encourage you, if you're a believer here today, as we sing these words of affirmation, would you also say these words of affirmation? Speak to them to the Lord and in, in, in through this song and maybe later during communion. God, I believe. I believe you sent your son Jesus. I believe it with all my heart. I believe he was no ordinary man. I believe he is the Lord, I believe.